Morning, everybody. Um, my name is Tom, and I lead our team here at Crossroads, and I'm going to caveat that with one thing, okay? Please don't follow my clapping. I, have, I am so rhythmically impaired. I try really hard, but I, ha I like kept having to look down at Gail's hands. I'm like watching Gabby's. I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> so don't follow my clapping. One, one thing I wanted to, to point out to you this morning is that um, our high schoolers and their leaders are away at Lake Champion, which is an awesome facility designed just for students so they can have an opportunity to get to come to know Jesus and to grow in Jesus. And uh, their leaders have given up a weekend. All of our student ministry leaders are volunteers. So they have voluntarily said, I'm not going to sleep for a weekend and I'm going to hang out with high school students um, in the cold and, so that they can, they can get to know Jesus. So um, they're finishing up their weekend and they're going to be driving home. So if you think about it later on today, just pray for, for safe travel for, for our students. I'm going to take one sip of coffee. All right, now we're ready to go. So we started a series last week. We're just calling Love God, Love Others. I knew I was going to do that. Look to the wrong side. Just really quick review of, of last week's message. My, what I suggested to you was that when we come to an understanding, when we discover the reality of who God is and the reality of who we are, we discover our purpose, which is to love God and love others. And the reality of God that I suggested to you was <clears throat> that God, in the person of Jesus, is perfectly, lovingly relational. He will meet us right where we're at, but he will not leave us there. He is omniscient. He knows each one of us by name. Not only by name, but the number of hairs on our head. I said that he is sovereign, which is just a fancy way of saying that he's in control of everything, the good and the bad. And I finished up we looked at the passage in Luke chapter 19 of the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus, and I finished up by saying that Jesus is long-suffering, which is just a way of saying that Jesus will not give up until he finds us. He chases us, he chases us down. And in that story of Zacchaeus, I pointed out that in Zacchaeus we see us. We see a man who recognized who he was without Jesus, lacking and in desperate need of Jesus. But then he comes into relationship with Jesus. He recognizes Jesus. He acknowledges Jesus for who he is. And he discovers his identity. It's not to be a thief and an extortionist. It's to be a generous man and to take care of the poor. In discovering God's identity and discovering our own identity, we discover our purpose. And the, the best way that we've discovered to do that here at Crossroads is by modeling the life that Jesus lived here on earth, right? And Jesus did that in three different ways. He looked up, he leaned in, and he reached out. He looked up to his heavenly father for guidance, for sustenance, and for his identity. His identity was rooted in who he was in God. He leaned in to his followers for support and encouragement and challenge. And then finally, he reached out to those who were poor in spirit, and pour in resources. And this morning, we're going to concentrate on looking up. And here at Crossroads, we think about looking up in four different ways. We think about Bible study, we think about prayer, we think about generosity, and we think about worship. And um, worship, I'm going to define for you as, sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to understand, so I tried to put it into some words. 
Worship is responding to the greatness and glory of God in all that we think, say, and do, both as individuals and as a church. And I highlighted responding because I, uh, that's kind of going to be our theme for the, this morning, this idea of responding to God, who he is and what he does. And there are different kinds of responses, right? There's involuntary responses, there's learned responses, there's feigned responses or forced responses. Um, like, you guys hear that thunder the other night? Did it, it, it jolt anybody out of bed? Right? That's an involuntary response. Loud, scary noise in the middle of the night wakes you up. Um, or how about this for an example? Gil and I were installing a new uh, light fixture at my mom's house about a week ago. I thought I had the power shut off. And I'm up there, and I'm working away. Yeah! Right? That little charge that hit my hand, that was an involuntary response. Um, then there's like learned, learned responses. We teach our children, somebody gives something to them or does something for them, they say thank you, right? That's a learned response. Or I've learned over the course of my married life that my wife wants a response from me, whether it was a question or not. She just wants me to acknowledge that something was said and that I'm, I'm tracking with her. Learned, learned response. So worship should be and this is going to sound kind of uh, oxymoron-ish. Oxy it's going to sound like it doesn't make sense. It should be intentionally involuntary. So what that means is intentional, it means we should, it should be our best, it should be our most, it should be our biggest. Involuntary means that whatever happens, good, bad, indifferent, it should be, our reaction should be a response to God. Our proactive step should be a response to God, who he is and, and what, what he does. We're going to unpack that as we go through here this morning. And we're going to do that by looking at five verses in the book of Romans. Um, the very ending of chapter 11, first two verses of chapter 12. But in order to do that, I need to summarize for you the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. So experts tell us that the book was written to people in Rome just as an explanation of the gospel, as an explanation of the good news of Jesus Christ, that God stepped out of heaven, was miraculously born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died an innocent death, triumphantly rose again, ascended into heaven, and has promised to return. And the reason that he did that was for me and for you because we were separated from God. And it took Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection to remedy that. So um, one, I tried to come up with one verse with the help of some friends that would summarize um, those first 11 chapters. This is Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's essentially the first 11 chapters when you look at that, right, the wages of sin is death. So when we choose to go our own way, when we choose to chase after our own fame, our own glory, and we think we know better than God, that's, that's sin, right? What that sin is, is that is a, that's a wall that is infinitely high, infinitely wide, and infinitely deep that we cannot do anything about on our own. We are separated from God by that wall. But God, in his grace and his mercy, 
provided a way. He had a plan from the beginning of how he was going to fix that. He knew that we were going to just keep pushing boundaries and keep trying to do our own thing. So along comes Jesus, and he steps in and freely and willingly lays down his life. Nobody took his life from him. He laid down his life so that we might be restored into relationship with God. It was a gift. No earning, no striving, no trying harder, no appeasing, no making happy. It was just a gift. So it is out of this, those 11 chapters, that summary, wage of sin is death, free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, um, that we read these verses. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, five verses. We're kind of kind of break it up into two two halves. The first half of it is the end of chapter 11. And this is Paul's response to what Jesus has done in him and through him and, and for him, right? And he's just, it's a, uh, experts tell us that they think this was actually a hymn, that Paul wrote a song to commemorate all, all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge, right? So that depth modifies riches, wisdom, and knowledge. Inexhaustible. Those qualities of God are without end. The riches refers to God's love, God's grace, his mercy, his kindness. Wisdom is the plan that God put together before any of this started to make sure that we would be in relationship with him, that we would always have access to him. And the knowledge is the fact that God knew before you were born, he knew you by name, right? That omniscience is not limited. God had this plan before anything started, and you were specifically part of it. He knew how you would best glorify him. The depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. So this, the next little chunk here is kind of like if you picture Paul as he's writing this, doing like a mind-blown gesture, just like, like he's completely blown away by what God has done for him. The extent of who God is, God's ways are not our ways. There's no, he, we, we just can't understand them, right? That the God of the universe would step out of heaven, right? So heaven is, you can't even imagine he would lay that aside for us, take on the frailty of this mess and live life with us and face every trial, every temptation, every struggle, every anxiety, every pain, every hurt that we did, that we do. (sighs) 
Paul was just blown away. And that was his way of, of communicating. From him, through him, and for him, God created all of this. He sustains all of this. And it's all so that we might recognize and acknowledge who he is. That we might recognize and acknowledge his greatness and his glory. Right? So Jesus is all of this amazing stuff. He does all of these amazing things. It requires a response. Something we, we can't just not do anything about that. So Paul continues, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I highlighted bodies in this part. It means all of us. There's another part of the Bible that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything, right? Your smarts, your brain, your intellect, your, your heart, your feelings, your emotion. Some of us are, like, some of us are more wired towards the, the brain side. Some of us are more wired towards the feeling side. But that does not relieve you from the other part of the equation. If you're more of a feeling person, that doesn't relieve you from getting to know God intellectually. If you're more of an intellectual person, that does not free you of, of experiencing God in an emotional, relational way. And the last part of bodies is what we usually would probably think of, is the physicality of who we are. Our, our hands, our feet, our abilities, the things that we can do physically, our bodies. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So the original audience, whenever we talk about scripture, I encourage us always to try to put ourselves in the mindset of the original audience. The people who were reading this were familiar with animal sacrifices. It was just, that was part of the, the culture. It was part of Judaism that Christianity grew out of. It was part of the Gentile culture around Judaism, what was going on. And people recognized that a sacrifice, once a sacrifice was made, sacrifice couldn't change its mind, right? There's no crawling off the, the sacrificial table after they've been sacrificed. Things get hard, they can't say, oh, I don't wanna do this anymore. They recognize a sacrifice as whatever, you know, phrase of the day you want to pick, all in, 24-7, right? That's what a sacrifice meant. It's just the totality of, of the commitment. Living holy and pleasing, true and proper, they modify sacrifice, right? That's, that's why it's all there together in yellow. Living, it's... It's, it's not just about here on a Sunday morning. It's not just about the songs, right? It's about everywhere we go, everywhere we are, anytime living. Holy and pleasing, right? Holy means set apart and different. This idea of worship, this idea of responding to God is, should be, could be our first priority. So it's at the top of the list and then um, chronologically, right, and the things that we choose to do. Typically we do, if something's a priority for us, it'll be the first thing we get done, but not always. But that holy and pleasing, right, it's first. It's first. And then true and proper. We should absolutely worship God. We should respond to God when things go well, when we're on top of the world, when, when he, he's answering prayers and he's moving in us and he's changing us to look like him. 
but we should also be responding to the greatness and glory of God when things are hard, when we are um, so riddled with the anxiety that affects us physically, when we are struggling alongside loved ones who are struggling, when we're sick, when our loved ones are sick, when we're struggling to find work, we need to respond to the greatness and glory of God like he has already come through, like we are already on the other side of that. That's true and proper worship. So I guess to kind of, to, to sum all of that up, it, it's all the time, everywhere, in any circumstance. So I want to talk for a second about the idea of a lot of times when we hear the word worship, like, oh, church, songs, good, right? It is, the, it absolutely is that, absolutely 100%. It's a key ingredient of it. It is also our personal lives. There is a personal aspect to worship that uh, is often overlooked, that is often not spoken of, that is often um, neglected. And it works it's like a, a symbiotic relationship. They, they serve to make the other better. So, for example, you're sitting here this morning and um, maybe you're not feeling it. You're not engaged. Some, you're just like, ah. And oftentimes, when I've been on the other side of this, I'll look up here and be like, man, that person speaking is just not doing it for me. Or, well, band just wasn't on today. Must be something they're doing wrong. What I would suggest to you is more often than not, the effect of your week has carried over into your Sunday morning experience. Right, so if, you, if you're walking through your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if you're talking about Jesus and talking with Jesus, if you are preparing dinner as an act of worship, if you're thanking God that you can put food on the table and that you're providing nourishment for your family and you have the creative mind to make a dinner, right? If you're, if you're not doing that during the week, if you're not engaged in conversations with your brothers and sisters about Jesus during the week, um, if you're Monday through Friday, is not being lived in response to Jesus. When you walk in here, it's really hard to flip a switch and just be like, all right, hey, it's worship time. On the other hand, if you are doing those things and you come in here, folks, I tell you, I can, over the course of time, I can tell how we're tracking as a community by what goes on in this room on a Sunday morning. I have a pretty good feel of, of our level of, like, of Bible reading and prayer and, and, and reaching out to people who don't know Jesus and serving by what goes on in here. Because when, when there is something palpable that happens in here, when all of us have come through a week loving God and loving others, and we come together, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And it is a real and it is a tangible, tangible thing.
All right, so the flip side of that. You're going through your week and you're struggling, right? You're like, these are carrots. I hate chopping carrots. My knife cuts are all different. This looks terrible. Nobody's going to eat them, right? It's not, it's the exact opposite of responding to God, right? You're, you're going through your day at work and you, you go to put your head down at night and go to sleep. You realize you didn't even think about God. Never mind engage him in conversation or try to, try to sell your widgets to God's glory, right? It, it, just, it just didn't. So what I would suggest to you is this. Maybe, right, when we don't show up to church on Sunday, it affects our week, right? If we availed ourselves of coming together with our brothers and sisters who are showing up, yeah, they're showing up for God, but they're also showing up for you. And the, the efforts of the 30 people that come together every Sunday morning to make this, turn this capitorium into a church. And we come here together, and that is a, a boost, right? And it, and it can propel us into our week. Or uh, maybe you're here and, and you're, not, you're not engaged and you're just, you're just struggling. Or you, um, you have an opportunity to be a part of a, go to a prayer gathering or go to a, a small group, right? And you choose, oh, I'm exhausted. Or whatever, whatever else it might be. And so choosing to not participate in worship as a church affects your ability to worship as an individual. Choosing to not worship as an individual affects our ability to worship as a church. I'm not a car guy. I, I struggle to, with all things car-oriented. Um, but I do know that if both cables are not attached to a battery, the rest of the vehicle is not going to get power. Right? You need that red cable and that black cable. And if they weren't labeled, I wouldn't be able to tell you which one should go where. But, um, right? We need to worship as individuals, and we need to worship together as a church. And when we do that, the whole thing gets powered. All right. Um, I got all sidetracked. What are we doing? Uh, um, let's, let's think about these next verses, right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So those, those words, conform, transformed. Conform is we, we need to do something. It's, we need to be an, a participant. Transformed is what happens to us, right? So relationship with Jesus is a gift. He gives up freely to us. However, it's a gift, it's, a gra it's grace, right? But a, a great author, somebody I read frequently and I look up to, think he's an incredibly smart, a guy named Dallas Willard says that grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Right, so we have to put forth an effort into how we respond to the greatness and glory of God. I'm gonna suggest you a couple of really just practical, granular, tactical things. Um, and they're not new and they're not, they're not earth shattering, but when you look at them through the lens of worship, they could be earth shattering. They could definitely be uh, life changing. 
So how about your calendar, right? Let's look at the, your calendar first of all. One of the ways that we can take our calendar and give it to God, use it for his glory, as responding to his greatness, is by giving him the best of our time. Right? I'm not going to tell you that all of us have to be monks and we have to disengage from society and spend all day, every day, reading and, and praying. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is you identify when you are at your best, when the house is at its quietest, when you have the greatest opportunity to connect with the God of the universe. For my buddy Slink, he was part vampire, right? We're hanging out, whatever, it's like 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. Slink, what are you doing? Reading my Bible, I'm praying. I'm barely keeping my head up, right? Keep my, that was his, that was when he was most alert, most engageable, so he gave that time to God. I have discovered that I, I am a morning person, like really, really early. I will get up and spend the first chunk of my time reading and praying because that's when I'm at my most coherent and that's when my house is quiet and I won't be disturbed except for the dogs. But, um, so give God the best part of your day. Right? Your calendar can also tell you who it is you value. Right? Our relationships can be a thing of worship. It can be a way we respond to the greatness and glory of God. <clears throat> so when you get home from work, do you have the energy and the wherewithal to get down on the ground with your kids and wrestle or read to them? Or are you just so shot and so spent that you're like, I, I can't even? Right, so it, whatever you got done in that last hour of work, was it, was it worth not being able to engage with your kids or your spouse or your significant other or meet somebody for, for coffee in that, in that hour. It's hard, folks, man. I, like, when I had a corporate job, I was gone three days a week. I was on the road. And when I was in the office, um, I, it was like a 12-hour day. And I would come home. If I was lucky, you know, Jake, Jake was still awake. Jared wasn't born yet at this time. Um, so I, I knew that I had to be really intentional about, about, creating, about creating that time because our relationships are a huge way of responding to the greatness and glory of God and, and what we dedicate to them. Um, so when it, when it comes to our calendar, I'll say, say one more thing. God commanded and Jesus modeled us to have downtime, to take time off to rest. And yet we treat it like, oh, he didn't really mean that. Like it was, that was one of the 10 big ones. Nah, not that one. It, <clears throat> our ability to stop what we're doing and to, to, to think for a moment that God might be able to carry the world forward without our engagement. Like that was, I, I, I would, until I got in a regular habit of doing this, I'm still working on it. I'm still a work in progress. I'm like, I can't take a day off. X, Y, and Z are not going to happen. Person B is not going to come to know Jesus if I take a day off. The world's going to stop spinning if I take it like that was... When we stop 
and recognize God with our time by carving out time specifically, I, I wish I could remember who came up with this catchy little phrase, but to pray and to play, right? We'd spend time with God and we spend time doing the things that recreate us, that we are uniquely wired to do and enjoy. That is a way of responding to the greatness and glory of God. We said, God, you're, you're in control. You can do more with six days in my week than I could do with seven. You got it. It's a, it's a really, our calendar is a really good way that we can personally, outside of here, respond to God. Our checkbook is another one, right? And looking at the way we spend, the way we save, and the way we give, right? If we spend on frivolous stuff, like the, the, the one for me that I have to keep an eye on is like my Starbucks stops, right? If I, if I, if I, I'm doing the bills and I'm looking like, wow, there are a lot of debit transactions at Starbucks. Like that's something I'm like that. I don't need that. I have three different coffee makers in my house. I don't need to be stopping at Starbucks. Um, and that's just frivolous spending. There are other things, right? And, and savings, right? We, are, are we doing what we can to take care of our family, right? To meet the needs, not the luxuries, but the needs of, of our family. And then, then giving, right? God created us in his image. God is generous. And if we are not living that part of our God-created identity out, um, it can be frustrating and, and not worshipful. It's not responding to God's greatness and his glory. So your calendar, our calendar, our checkbooks, and so for some of us, this one may, this last one may be like, ah, whatever. For some of us, it's gonna be like, mm. your search, your internet search history and your social media feed, right? You can, you absolutely can control those things. And it's a way, your, the way you use the internet is absolutely a way of responding to the greatness and glory of God. If your device were on the table and if it were left unattended and somebody grabbed it and started scrolling through it, would you be like, eh, whatever? Or would you be like horrified and embarrassed and like, give me that? How we conduct ourselves online is a way of responding to the greatness and glory of God or not. My phone, it has a lock on it right, so when I'm out in public or whatever, can't, but Gail has all the codes. Like my computer, she has the passwords to my computers. They're on my, I have, there's nothing there that y'all couldn't look at. Well, maybe my journal, I don't want you guys reading, but. Um, <clears throat> what, how we conduct ourselves online is a way of responding to the greatness and glory of God, or not. When we're together, we can respond to the greatness and glory of God. When we're apart, we can respond to the greatness and glory of God. Because here's the thing, folks. We were created with this worship response in us. You were created to worship something. Right? And you, here, let's look at this. This is from the book of Isaiah. Everyone who is called by, by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We were created to worship. And when our worship is rightly seated in the person of Jesus, it is fulfilling, it is joy-producing, it is satisfying, 
and it provides us with, with wisdom. Three different verses up there. It talks about the joy that we get. It is okay to worship God because it's a joyful experience, because it, it fulfills you and it satisfies you. That's how God created us. It's not just something he commands us to do, but it's something that we can enjoy. And it also produces the last part of our verse from this morning. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and wisdom all come as a result of worshiping Jesus. If we don't worship Jesus, we will worship something else. And it will, or the person will, fail us, let us down, break, crash, or leave us. Because there is no one else that was created with the strength to handle the weight of worship other than Jesus. If you worship a spouse or a child, you will crush them under the weight of that. Not Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can handle that and that can respond to that. Um, so there's a, a king in the Old Testament, his name is Solomon. I was trying to think of like who to compare him to. So the nearest I could come up with was like this amalgam of four different people. So if you took LeBron James and Drake and Stephen Hawking and, and Bill Gates, right, and you mashed them all together, that's kind of like what Solomon was like. Solomon had everything, did everything. He wrote this. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the re reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and when I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. This guy had everything. He was wise beyond anybody else. He had literally hundreds of wives. He had more money and treasure than he knew what to do with. And he had kingdoms and power and people just jumped. And it wasn't enough. We were created to worship. That worship rightly resides in, in Jesus. Worship, like I suggested at the beginning, is responding to the greatness and glory of God in all that we think, in all that we say, in all that we do. When we're together as a church and when we're off on our own as individuals. I'm gonna invite the, the band to come back up here. But I'm gonna ask you guys, in, as we move forward from, from this moment, right, this whole, the whole idea of love God and love others started with the idea of the more we get to know God, the more we understand what our purpose is. The more we get to know God, the more we will love him. The more we will want to respond to him. So as we move forward from this moment and we sing these songs, we're singing 
to the God of the universe who is perfectly, lovingly relational, who is omniscient and sovereign and long-suffering, who created all of this, who sustains all of this, all for his glory. He gives of his inexhaustible riches, of his love and his grace and his mercy for us as a community and for each one of you as an individual. So as we move forward from here, we sing, yes, we sing, 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 make a noise, whatever it is, right, that God created you to do. If you can sing, sing. If you can make a noise, make a noise. As we leave here, if you're sitting in traffic, you can respond to God, right? That doesn't have to turn into road rage. When you go home and you cook dinner, you can respond to God in that. You can thank him. You can pray for the people that you're cooking for. When you get up to go to work tomorrow, that can be a response to God. You can work like you're working for Jesus. In every conversation that you have, every appointment that you have, you pray for an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to share Jesus, to be Jesus to somebody. Our all-in, 24-7 life should be, could be, a response to the greatness and glory of God. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you stepped out of heaven and into time, that you, out of love, out of love for us, out of love for your Father, that you sacrificed everything. You spent all of your waking moments on earth chasing after those ones that your Father gave to you. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> who you are is so far beyond the comprehension of our little brains. We thank you for the glimpses that you give us. We ask that you would grow our capability to, to understand who you are and what you are. And Lord Jesus, as we grow in that understanding that our love for you and our response to you would grow and that it would overflow out of us and spill onto other people. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us the kind of people who would just shine so much light on you and who would do so much to bring attention to you and to your glory and your fame and your power and your wisdom and your love and your grace and your mercy. There is not a single reason, Lord Jesus, why you were, why we shouldn't, couldn't worship you. Everything about your character is perfect. Every action you take is for our good. Lord Jesus, make us the kind of people who live our lives in response to your greatness and glory. Amen.